Hi, this is Cassandra Harris-Lockwood, and this is The Hot Seat.
I just wanted to learn more about the criminal justice system and law in general to see if I wanted to be a lawyer, and it turned out to be a really valuable experience. And um, unfortunately, it was cut short, cut short by coronavirus, as um, Professor Anna Carrico said. But um, yeah. So, but you've done some uh, very interesting research, right? Yeah. Um, so my research project was on the racial and ethnic diversification of the criminal justice system personnel and the barriers to that um, in general. And specifically, I was looking at Oneida County. So you've done you've done your research on the racial. To say it again. Uh, the racial and ethnic diversification of criminal justice uh-huh. personnel. Okay. You know, because we've had some very um, challenging times around those issues uh, when it comes to Utica. And, and, you know, one of the things that I want to be specific about when we're talking here is when we say you know, racial and ethnic is not necessarily black. When people say multicultural, when we say, when people say people of color, when they say you know multicultural, whatever, they're not saying black. And when you look, when we look at what the the the, the challenges are before us, and the, who the, who is, is among the most risk of population, we're talking about black people. Mm-hmm. Now, did you did you distinguish? Are you distinguishing in your research black people as opposed to people of color? Um, so I did my research in general about people of color, like diversifying in terms of people of color, um, but it was, in a lot of the studies I looked at, it was, um, looking at black people, so, yeah. What were your findings? And so I found, well, while I was in there, in the, um, Utica City Court, and I interned at the Rome Public Defender's Office, I found that... A big barrier was that a lot of people working, currently working in the criminal justice system, um, have this attitude that people of color aren't cut out to work in the criminal justice system. How did you, how did you determine that? What's attitude? What is that? How does that distinguish so, itself? So I asked. So I interviewed a bunch of people that worked. So like probation officers, um, lawyers, um, the cops that worked in the courtroom and did security. And, you know, one question I asked was, like, um, what do you think is stopping from stopping people of color from um, working in the criminal justice system? And, like, point blank, one person said to me, like, you know, they just don't, they don't have, they weren't made for it. Or, um, you know, you have to be a confident person to do that, and a lot of people of color aren't like that. And I was, I mean, I'm a person of color, this man was saying this to me, and I was just, What's your what is your ethnic make, um, makeup? I'm Indian. But what kind of Indian? Like <laughs> dot, Indian? dot or red? <laughs> they say dot or feather, right? What is oh, it? <laughs> Asian. She's Asian. You said don't you say dot? Then you say dot. <laughs> that's that's what my Native American friends. That's what my 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 Indian friends say. You know that that's a. Uh, this, this became an issue when she started her internship. What was that? How did it become an issue? Well, my first day, I went to the Rome City Court, and one person, I don't remember why she said this, but she said, Asian people scare me. 
and we, I was like, this, you were where? And they said that? Rome City Park. Oh, my Lord. Okay. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, you know, she's like, they're, they're short and smart. And I was like, you know I'm Asian, right? She was like, you don't. Like, you're beautiful. And uh -huh. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, this is, yeah. Well, uh, okay, I, I can tell you, I remember being at Kirkland. Uh, you, you, did you know that I was, I'm a Kirkland grad? Well, yeah, now you figured that out. Ted Frank and I were on the campus at the same time. And I remember, I remember uh, this one, um, you know, young white woman saying to me that um, uh, I, because I, uh, I was dropping out, I was, I was taking a year off, and she said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to get a job. And she said, well, what are you going to, I don't know, wait table, she said, do something. And she says, uh, well, you know, my, my uncle owns a modeling agency, and, you know, you, you, you're black, but you're not so black as to be offensive. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Okay, so, yeah, so that's a milder version of what, well, you've got a milder version of what I got, right? Yeah. You're an, you're an acceptable agent, right? Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. I fall into that model minority myth category. Um, so... Yeah, I've definitely had opportunities that black people don't have in America. Right, and, and you can see that, right? It's glaring. Yeah. It's yeah. glaring. Yeah. So let's get back to your work. Let's get back to your work and, 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 and the results of your of your research. Um, yes. So a few other things I found um, after the semester one online, I did the rest of my research at home in my, on my laptop. Um, and a few other things I found or that there are very specific requirements in order to be, um, I've worked a lot at police officers actually, and uh, you know, some requirements exclude, maybe, maybe it's not on purpose, maybe it is, um, but they exclude certain groups. For example, um, Utica has a big refugee population, and the test is in English, and in order to um, take the test, you have to know English, so if you don't know English, you automatically can't become a cop, basically. Um, and a lot of other, there are a lot of other tests that you have to take in. Well, well I, I have to jump in there, um, Anoki, because, I mean, it doesn't it kind of make sense that if you're going to be policing a people that you speak the, 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 the main language? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I do agree with that, but I think it's important that people are able to see themselves in, you know, the, justice, the criminal justice system personnel represented around them, so... Mm -hmm. I think it's important that they have police officers who are able to speak their language, too, because you could kind of make the argument in the opposite direction and say that, that you know, that there's a lot of people from, like, there, I know there's a lot of Bosnian immigrants, like refugees, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, if you don't have anybody who can speak the language, then couldn't you say that they wouldn't be able to defend you know, those people as well as they could defend well, people. Yes, yes, no, no, but I have to say that the, mo the Bosnians are straight-up white folks, okay? Yeah. straight-up white yeah. people. And, and, you know, becoming bilingual is one of the first things they do, and, you know, the, the Bosnians are not, not at risk in Utica for being, uh, uh, you know, excluded. Believe me, they're doing well in business. They're doing well in you know government positions, and you know they've 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 they've. they've not, I wouldn't worry about the Bosnians. Let's let's leave them. 
and move on to some more marginalized, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the Karen people, you know, and, but go ahead, Steve. You, you're, you're, yeah, uh, Anuki, when I spoke with you before. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, is it Anuki or Anuki? Anoki. Anoki. Anoki, yeah. So when I spoke with you before, you indicated that, uh, and uh, you shared your paper with me, that uh, most of the impediments um, come from within um, the police establishment and, and, the, and government, um, the justice system, rather than, you know, it's often suggested, oh, well, you know, blacks aren't part of the police department because they don't want to be cops because the cops are the enemy, you know, type of thing. Or... They're not educated enough. Or They're just something. not suited yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah, don't you think yeah. it has to do with the, the way people think of the police in the community? Uh, you know, whether or not they think that, they're, that these are people who are actually part of my community, part of my life, or is it, are they the other? Or do they think of me as the other? I mean, this is, the uh, I think, the very important thing about Anoki's paper is that it sort of opens the door. Uh, diversity inside the department is just one way of thinking about inclusion. Uh, but that's only the beginning. Um, and a lot of the changes that I think are going to happen in New York State. Underway. In the, yeah, in the next Underway. year, the governor's executive order requires every police department in the state to reform itself uh, and to be more inclusive and to include the community in that discussion and to reform its, I mean, it's a whole list of things that I'm looking at here. It's uh, policies, it's deployments, it's procedures. And that has to be done. The process of reforming it has to be done in an inclusive way. So when we look at diversity and we see that there are barriers to that, that's really kind of the, I think, the first sort of uh, wall between the community and, uh, and this process. And I think, you know, the other issue that I think we have to think about is that it's not just the police. We have to think about prosecutors. I think about the way the jails are run. Uh, are the public defenders well enough situated? Mm-hmm. All these things is part of a ecology that the criminal justice system uh, has been undemocratic for a very long time. And and under underserved in certain areas because when the mental institutions were vanquished back in the 80s, mental health became the police problem. And not every not every problem is solved with a gun. And it's, you know, I, I heard it estimated that 80% of the calls that police get are not, uh, are, are, are stre- distressed, you know, emotional, mental distress, you know, situations. And, um, you know, so that's, that, that's definitely something to, con- not to consider. And the other thing to consider is that we have to go to commercial break right now. Okay. And so, Anoki and Frank and Steve, thanks for holding out, and we'll be right back, folks. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Cassandra Harris Lockwood, and this is The Hot Seat. civil service exam. And the, the uh, sad history in Utica is that most, I don't want to say most, but too many 
young black people do not get a quality education for one reason or another. And, and that's a whole other conversation. But just to be, just to be a, a solid student and an, a, a, a successful student is hard in this town for, for black kids. I've just I've just seen it, you know, over the over the years. And underfunded, and and it's one of the most uh, segregated schools in the area. When you cross the line to Whitesboro, when you cross the line to New Hartford, you cross the line to New York Mills. That that there those are very very white, and Utica School District is very very black. The the, the well as as high as it's going to be around here, right. and. Um, you know that that discussion not too long ago led to what are we what, why don't we talk about busing why don't we talk about mixing it up a little bit you know why don't we you know what whatever happened to those kinds of conversations well you know that's the interesting thing about this movement that started i don't think it's just about police anymore is it right and this right. country i think we're talking about inequalities we're talking about the structure of the country that uh, is sort of based on sort of profit making corporate interests rather than public service uh, you know, rather than the kind of care and guardianship that uh, we expect government to provide. I mean, that's the whole thing about shifting the idea of the, of the police and the whole criminal justice system to be service and not control. Right. I think, I think that's – but I think you're quite right. Uh, uh, obviously, school segregation and school funding is a big part of this. And we're gonna, I'm afraid we're coming down a road where it's going to be much worse after the – uh, mm -hmm. the, the hit, the the we're going to hit this as a depression. That's what we're, at least the recession is going to be even yeah. worse than that. I yeah. think you're right. So we have to be on our guard about who, who ends up getting uh, you know, the, the, the short end of this. Well, you, and know, you know what usually happens. You know, I, I have to tell you, I've been in a, a lengthy, uh, well, non-conversation because I've not been really uh, um, putting a lot of text into it. But um, this whole... Uh, there's, a, there's a whole right-wing group out there that resists, uh, is resisting this change, totally resisting this change. And the, the one online Facebook thread about this Aunt Jemima, okay? Oh, yeah. Okay? Now, I re I'm old enough, and you're old enough to remember when Aunt Jemima didn't look as cute as she does now, okay? Right? Yes. And, and I remember when they flipped, when they, when they switched, Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima. And it was like we, you know, black folks, we took a little sweat off of our brow and flicked it because, you know, these these ongoing micro and macro aggressions and in, in, in sub uh, subhumanizing uh, uh, cultural realities have been with us. And I, I, I went I just went online today and I put niggerhead whatever okay there was a company called niggerhead and they did all kinds of things all right oh and when you look and you see these images they are so degrading and they are so pervasive all over you know um there was one um uh learning uh, addition from the little nigger and the little nigger this and the, it, this is how we grew up this is how this is how our society was developed, and there are people that keep those images in their head. They see me, and they see big, fat lips with, you know, with red lips with white eyeballs. You know, there's a, there is an understanding and a, a, degraded, a degraded level of, 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 of existence that, yeah, that, 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 that rides into that. Well, they're just not fit for it. They're just not made out for it. That's what that translates to. And that's what she was hearing. That's, that's what, what she was hearing. was hearing. Well, you know, this is uh, 
It's a big deal in the criminal justice system. Uh, Anna DuVernay, uh, the, the director who did, uh, Ava DuVernay, uh, did uh, Selma. Mm-hmm. Well, she also did a movie called 13th, about the 13th Amendment, mm-hmm. which abolishes slavery, except for convict those convicted of a crime. And she, she shows you how the word criminal has been attached to blackness, uh, you know, obviously through Jim Crow and, and beyond that. Um, the, uh, the sort of the weight of that is just sort of signified well, by people like Aunt Jemima. That's the whole idea of subservience. She had on her head. That's right. She didn't have hair. She had a red because she was a slave. So this is all, it's part of, I think, what's being pushed back against now. There's a lot of inchoate anger that, that I think it's sort of our job to try to organize and get something done. And, Frank, some people are so young, they don't even get what the, what the, the substance of this, this feeling this, this, you know, what, what did she start? To, what, 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 how did she describe their attitude? Where this attitude comes from? Right. Okay, it's ancient. It's ingrained and and passed on from you know from generation to generation. And I'm sorry. No, I'm just gonna maybe uh, uh, get Anoki back in here because she's also been participating in protests in Chicago, and in that area. And, and I wonder where she thinks she sees this going, uh, or where she'd like it to go at this stage. Let's hear it, Anoki. Um, where specific, where what? You've, you've, been, you've been out in the streets, you've been protesting? In Chicago. Yeah. In Chicago? Yeah, not in the city, city, just north of the city, so I haven't seen the worst of it. But I, I mean, I was talking to Professor Anna Carico the other day about how, like, realistically, we need to break down the system and rebuild it from scratch. Yep. Because, because it was built in a time where most of us weren't, you know, equal. And it was built in a time, like, when people refer to the Constitution, like, that's great and all, but that was made in a time where black people were three-fifths of a human, or considered to be three-fifths of a human. So, like, I think that in order to keep up with, you know, what our reality is right now, where everybody is supposed to be treated equally and, in fact, Things need to be equitable, not just equal. We need to break down the entire system and rebuild it based on, you know, each community or whatever each community needs because cities are different than towns and right. all that. But I think, right. yeah. Anoki, are you aware of a, a book called Slavery by Another Name? Okay, it was it was a period. It it was uh, uh, Fox Blackwell, I think his name is, but uh, it was it was written post civil uh, post civil war, when black people were basically bought and sold. If you were if you didn't have enough money, if you were a vagrant, if you um, had committed a crime, that you could be bought. You would you would go to jail, and a corporation, a company, could come in and actually buy the that person. And they did it by droves, and they they basically restructured slavery into this commodity of of uh, of of. Of humanity, yeah, convict leasing. Yeah, convict leasing, yeah. and and uh, they say that uh, the Atlanta brick factory, Atlanta, I guess, is tons of bricks in it. Everything's built by, and those were the, they, those bricks were built by black men. They, they just they just put them in unmarked graves. They then buy some more. They worked them literally to death, and they they just bought some more. There was I, just, a, I just found the book here, uh, uh, Slavery by Another Name, mm-hmm. uh, by Douglas Blackman. Okay, Douglas Blackman. Okay, yeah. Uh, it was. It was. An, it's an incredible. It's an incredible. Uh, see, there, there's all this hidden history. I didn't know that. 
You, did, you didn't know that. You know, I didn't grow up knowing about the slaughter. Or taught it. No, no. And it was a, it was disgusting hidden history. When you look at you know, Greenwood, Rosewood, the, all, the, the, there's just a litany of all these towns and of, of affluent black people that were crushed. Any kind of economic advancement was was crushed. Tulsa. Literally. Tulsa, there you go. Well, that was Greenwood. Yeah, Tulsa. That's yeah. Greenwood, that's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say that uh, I think one of the big failures of our educational system in our society is we really don't um, teach about slavery and how horrible and repressive and just murderous it was. Destructive, yeah. They used to split up families. I mean, not only were you enslaved and taken from your, your land, as you often say, and taken here. Indigenous people, yeah. Yeah, and indigenous people, uh, you know, colonists we we took over their lands and we put them on reservations the and, and, and the no, yeah in nowhere the native people and then and, and slaves were taken from you know blacks were taken from their country and then you know just kept as slaves for, Channel. Yeah, Channel. and and even after the 13th amendment but, but yeah absolutely no. this is that's a perfect example of it but you know uh, imperialism you know hit Anoki's country too. I mean, it was pretty. The, the British did their thing there, and 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 messed up a, you know, messed up a whole region, you know, of, of Asia with you know with their colonialism. But um, the but the, the point is that, you know, I, I'm I'm taking your uh, your youthful uh, vision and 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 uh, saying yes, let's let's do that. Let's uh, burn this like down. <laughs> But there's such a repeat, Frank. You know, I went to jail. I went to jail, Justice Department. I marched in Washington and, you know, did, uh, you know, unseemly things that I would not say to a police officer today. But (laughs) but, um, it's necessary to be out in the streets. It is. You know, this idea of defunding the police, you can see where that comes from. Uh, and I think some people think, yes, let's just get rid of them and start over. But, you know, the, the, the governor is saying something very similar. He's saying, look, you've got to rethink the whole thing from the bottom. You're right. And now a lot of places will do window dressing on that. A lot of places will bring in the usual suspects, have a conversation, uh, produce a report, and that will be the end of it. And go back to work as they like normally the have. report, the Kerner Commission. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I think in this community we have the opportunity to do something that may make us a model. Why don't we do that? Why don't we start having conversations this fall in groups, wherever we can find them, in churches and schools, and start building an agenda to change the system? Let's get let's get people involved. Let's hear what they want to say about it. What, what about the police? What are the police saying about it? Well, yeah, the police they engage them. Yes, I know. What do we just present them with? I the think they have to be involved in this conversation oh, yeah. sure, too. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I think they should be aware of it because that's what the, that's what policing in the future needs to look like. The cops have to be in the community. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know that's what, and that's what the governor's ordering. You've got to consult with the community when you make your policies, when you make your deployments. Now that sounds good. It's not easy. It sounds good. And as you and I were discussing earlier, people are busy. People are beleaguered. People don't. People have so many demands on their time. We have to make this look important, and we have to make it easy and possible for them to participate in these conversations. We have to bring the conversation to the people where they are. So it sounds to me like you have a vision for this. Well, we have a plan. I've been working with Judge Yanis in the city court about how we can move forward. And I think what we'd like to do in the fall is start these conversations. A second phase of this, maybe toward the end of the fall, would be to actually empower people 
with the tools to understand what procedural justice is and actually get certified as what I would call at this point a citizen auditor. Well, don't, there, shouldn't there be some simultaneous actions going on when it comes to the police department? I mean, the theory is great, but, you know, down the feet, uh, on the beat, let's, you know, we need to have some... Well, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But, and, and, you know, the governor... Sandra, you've got a million of So, So, yes, that's right. That's right. But, uh, but the, how do you get the people sort of empowered to participate in that conversation? by training them up so they understand what procedural justice is. And they can be change agents in this process, which has a deadline of April 1st next year. Well, there's a whole lot of talking going on, Frank. There's been a whole lot of talking going on around here for years. And, I mean, so so I think that, you know, there are some people who are talking. How do we switch the, switch the conversation? Well, I think that's why I think we want to get people in these programs where we're training them. I mean, this is going to be very specific. Okay. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to get certified. No, we're not just talking about college students, but anyone in the community that's interested and willing to spend the time, we'll bring it to them too. Now, this is in the early stages of development. Anyone who'd like to get involved, I would encourage to contact me. I can be found pretty easily on the Hamilton College website. My email address is there. I'm in the government department. I have the longest last name in the department, <laughs> so you can find me, Anna Carrico, and I'd be happy to include anyone who's interested. Why don't you spell it? Your last okay, name. My last name is spelled A-N-E-C-H-I-A-R-I-C-O. My email is F-A-N-E-C-H-I-A at Hamilton, E-D-U. Uh, so, yeah, uh, get in contact with me. Uh, what, about, what about uh, Judge Yannis? Is he like uh, Well, Judge Yannis is in or what? He is, he's a, a court official of the state, so he can't be an activist in this. Yeah, he's an advisor right. to us. But for, I think they might be more familiar with him than you. They might be more likely to, you know, well, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I think, you know, Judge Yannis has done wonderful things for this community okay. and his court. He started a mental health court. Right. Uh, you know, that takes the problem you mentioned earlier seriously about deinstitutionalization. And the fact that the jails have become the substitute yeah. for facilities that, that would treat people, that's another part of this reform that has to be taken seriously. How do people who really have serious problems social, with social interaction, how should they be dealt with in the system? Uh, so a lot of these things are going to cost money, but a lot of them have to come from the bottom up. I hear you. And that's the way we'd like to do this. Well, from the bottom up, I, I think we actually do have a couple more minutes. We have a couple more minutes. I thought that was a, a, was an eight, and that's, actually it's a six. We have two more minutes. So go ahead, Counselor. Well, okay. Well, I just want to say that New York State is uh, in our accreditation program for police departments, and you have to, you know, have all these policies that's and right. procedures, and you have to do it every week, get re-accredited every five years. You know, Utica is accredited, and a lot of the other police departments are. But just to be accredited and have the policies and procedures doesn't mean much if you don't abide by them. So I may have to com continue this after the commercial. No, uh, okay, but anyway, when Frank and I wrote this article, it was back in 1980 something. Wow. And, you know, but it was the responsibility of the, the police command for the line officers, the frontline patrol officers, and you, you gotta. First of all, you got to recruit them properly, and the, the best screen them. Yeah, and it'd be good to have a psychological test because some of these guys are getting on police forces, are getting on it because they want the power, because mm -hmm. that's sort of perception. Or they're racist. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I mean, all police departments and really all uh, state officials uh, basically swear to you know uh, abide by the Constitution, but also they they're supposed to serve and protect. And uh, you know, when I've ex cross-examined police officers. 
had civil rights trials when I've sued them. Um, many of them can't even recite the oath. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's not a long oath. Okay? Well, you know, and the, the other piece, too, though, is that the past 10, 15 years or so, there's been a, a definite call from right-wing racist groups mm -hmm. for them to infiltrate the, the local police department so right. that they can perpetrate these horrid uh, acts on, on, on black people. Um, but you know what? We are at the, we are at the uh, break time, and uh, hopefully people, please stay tuned, and we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Cassandra Harris-Lockwood, and this is The Hot Seat. Hi, folks. I'm back. Thanks so much for sticking with us. We have one more segment left of this awesome uh, discussion, and I have with me Frank Anacarico from the Government Department at Hamilton College. Uh, Steve Lockwood, attorney at law, and Anoki Manchanda, who is a student of uh, Professor Anna Caracos. And we're discussing the um, differences, uh, the, the, the changes that uh, we could make to have better policing in our, in our land. And uh, um, Lockwood, you were saying? Yeah, well, I just wanted to continue, besides, you know, screening when you're hiring and everything, uh, it's the responsibility to train uh, the recruits, the police officers, and we have a police academy. Um, and, uh, you know, who, who do they bring in to train these police officers, okay? And then they, the, police, the police command has to supervise the line officer. They can't just let them out and give them discretion to act any way they want it could be so they have policies and procedures that's part of the accreditation process and then they have to supervise them and and if uh, you know they run afoul of the policies and procedures they're supposed to use they need to be disciplined and that is not hidden now one of the best things they're doing now is to make that uh, visible the police records and Supposedly, it's going to be transparent. And, right, yeah, right. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the mayor and the chief of police, Williams, uh, said they were going to do that, and they were going to put all of the uh, police officers' personnel information online, not, not their personal information, not like their residence or anything like that, but their disciplinary. And then I, I, they also have accommodations. Sometimes they're commended, you know. Oh, okay. Oh. And then after after you discipline, you have a question. Though. Okay. You you, you, well, you have to retrain, okay. and it's a continuing, almost circular, almost circular type of uh, responsibility of the police command. You know, they have to just continually do this. And if if somebody, um, as we're seeing now, if somebody really runs afoul. Uh, like some of these horrible uh, cases we're seeing now around the country, they need to be fired and prosecuted. Right. So, so I, I'm think, I think I saw some resistance right away to uh, putting the personnel uh, information, those you know, different citations and and uh, you know whatever you know mad misdeeds that they they've done. Um, and and the, well, I would never work for a place to put my personnel records on the. Interact with the public on the 
a lot of complaints, there's a problem, whether or not they, so I think those are, those are issues. I think a lot of people look at that and say, well, if it's an unfounded complaint, you ought not to make that public. And there's an argument to be made there, but if there are 15 of them, 20 of them, yeah. Yeah. So then that, that becomes an issue. And then you also want to look at how are these complaints reviewed when they go up. I mean, uh, even in New York City, which has the, uh, the largest department in the country, there's a civilian complaint review board, and it gets all of the complaints. Its recommendations are advisory to the chief. Right, no teeth. Yeah. No so, teeth. There, so those are issues, and that's one of the other things that the governor orders. There has to be oversight. What, what if, I have a question. What about these unions? What's become very apparent is the power of the unions and how they support, how they protect these bad actors. Well, unions are necessary, I think, in all lines of work. Uh, but, yes, I think you're quite right. In a lot of places, they have become uh, shields rather than supports. I think, to the operation of the law. Uh, but I think at this point, that may be one of the real benefits of this national movement, that I think they will be able to stand in the way of accountability. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about you know, sort of persecuting officers. We're talking right. about holding them accountable. Right. And if, uh, if unions can't sit down and talk about that, there's a, there's a problem the legislature's going to have to do. Well, Frank, the, the fellow in, um, um, in uh, Minnesota you know, the, right. the head of the, the police union did like 29 complaints or something like that. Yeah. Oh, come on. And, these, and he's protecting all of these guys that are, you know, underneath him. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's that's ridiculous. I mean, how, how, does, how does a guy that has almost 30 complaints over how many years rise to be the – the head of the union. It's got horns. That it's union. A cult. Yeah. It's a cult. Here, there well, you go. It's a culture of appeal. Well, it's, it's a cult. cult. It's a cult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Horns. Yes. horns. Oh, dear. Yes, I think that's true. <laughs> uh, it, it, it can get really out. Evil. Uh, it's, that, that is totally remote from any democratic process. And I think some departments have gotten that far. And that's what we need to keep our eye on. Right. Is this a democratic institution? Does the people's will get worked by these people who are being paid by them? Right. So I think that's we have, we have those problems in all, all parts of the system. I'm sorry. Anuki, did you also, during your uh, research, did you run across, uh, you know, writings and uh, and did you have any discussion about police officers having to live in the community they policed? Because I noticed, like for instance, in Minnesota, there's some minuscule f- fraction, less than ten percent. Actually, live in the community. Actually, yeah, they live in the suburbs. And we, go, go ahead, go ahead, Noki. Um, so I didn't do that much research on that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. So he wants to know what sort of what kind of research you did and what your findings were on the residency of police officers in the districts that they are um, policing. uh, That they're policing. Um, I didn't like again. I didn't do much research on that. I did research more on uh, having people who are from your own community being. like your police officers, if that makes sense. Okay. And how that, I guess, a lot, I mean, this is like kind of taking it in a different direction, so I apologize for that. <laughs> but I basically found that a lot of, I talked to Dr. Mark, Mark Montgomery uh, at MVCC, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how a lot of people, especially black people, are realizing that in order to protect themselves, one, um, one method, I guess, of doing that is becoming cops in their own neighborhoods. 
mm-hmm. and so that's like like slowly becoming a thing as well um but it, it's just interesting to note that I, I also just watched cracking the codes and it's interesting to note that some like cops of color or black cops bought into the same stereotypes or don't stop their peers from abuse police brutality mm-hmm. against black people it's not a guarantee. so it's yep. Yeah. So it's a culture. It's a culture that they they buy into in order to be a yeah. part of. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a uh, there's one of the. Well, wait, wait, I just wanted to say that locally, um, there's just been legislation made by the uh, Common Council to relieve them of that obligation of being in the city uh, for uh, up to after five years after they five can years. they can leave. So that and and, and interestingly, that overrode uh, a, a referendum. Not too long ago, the people's will was that uh, police officers would live in the city, that that would be, uh, you know, a requirement, but, n- but only for five years and, now. And the municipality will get the taxes that they pay. Right, and, you know, right. That, that's an issue. Yeah. yeah. So what, do we, what are we looking at? For, do, you, do you have a no, – so Frank has a, a vision for going forward on, how, on engaging the community in the change. So – you were you were you were born were you born and raised in Okie here in the United States? Yeah, I was born in Evanston, Illinois, which is where Northwestern is. Okay, um, and I've been so, in, in Illinois my whole life. So you bought you bought hook, line, and sinker this whole democracy, you know, freedom and justice. You bought that hook, line, and sinker, right? When did you when did your eyes when were your eyes opened? Um. Like, when was the first time I experienced racism, or when was the first time that I realized this is all, like, fake? <laughs> <laughs> well, are the, do they do they come inside? <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I realized that I wasn't really um, accepted as somebody who was a, considered American when I was very, very young, like kindergarten. Wow. Um, and I... Even yesterday, I was at the beach, and, like, I was just trying to be at the beach, and people were making racist comments toward me, and it was it was just, like, every day, it's, like, something that you you just can't, and then you realize, like, this place isn't built for people who aren't, who don't look a certain way, um, and you realize that democracy isn't really what this country is about. It's about capitalism. Um, yep. So, Yeah. <laughs> okay, so by, by the time you were in kindergarten, so Frank wants to jump in there. Go ahead, Frank. Uh, no, I, I, I have to, you know, think that it's been very tough for people of color. You know, it still is. That's what Sononoki's finding. Uh, you know, she's a well-educated young woman, um, sophisticated person. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's her skin color. Yeah, your skin is uh, your sin. Yeah, and that's uh, yep. that's a real tragedy in this country. It's a real, it's an enormous waste of communication. Isn't it? Uh, you know, and humanity. Yeah, absolutely. Humanity. Yeah. It's you not. know, when you when you relegate uh, a whole people to, uh, you know, the sidelines and 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 reduce their access, reduce their their resource, and and you know, um, abuse and and uh, demean them, it's it's a loss. It's a loss, and, and it's a weight. It's a it's such a weight to carry. You know, we had this conversation about how much energy it takes to guard yourself constantly. You know, you can't be, you you, you must be prepared to uh, run, defend, do something, you know, at at least 
at the very least, take the abuse, which is horrible, you know. Yeah, and to be a hater all day long, that's got to that's gotta take a lot out of you, too. I mean, what a waste of those people it is, too. That's true. That's why, you know, that's why when you talk about Juneteenth, it was like, when the way I look at it, it, it freed America from slavery. Not just black people, but white people, you know. But they, they, they weren't having it. That whole white supremacist thing, they were determined they were going to keep that. They were, and, it's, and it's, still, it's still a part of us today, you know. And, you know, that, that whole Facebook thread that I was talking about is like, you know, there, there's no black supremacy. They say, oh, well, you're, you're, you're a racist. I can't be a racist. I don't have any authority over uh, or any control. You know, I'm not, you know, there's no domination <laughs> that, I, that I'm going to have. Go ahead, Frank. No, there's just a couple of things that I think feed into this that I was going to suggest if people wanted to uh, get in touch with uh, with some of the work that's being done that I think helps move us, move us forward. Mm-hmm. There are two things. Five years ago, there was a president's task force on 21st century policing. If you've got your pencil, uh, you could just Google 21st century policing, and it's a blueprint. It's very clear, and it tells you exactly what, what needs to be done. It talks about really? okay. some of the, uh, the issues with regard to mental health. It says, well, you know, maybe we ask the cops to do too much. Mm-hmm. Right? We're giving them, you know, authority over social services, family life, right, uh, you know, traffic control. It's just way too much. And breaking that out into what this report calls multidisciplinary policing, right, teams. Right? So there are a lot of, there's a lot of very good work there that's very clearly stated. Another uh, website that's worth going on to is the Yale Law School website. And if you look at procedural justice, they have a whole one, two, three, how you can understand what police officers and police departments should be doing to act justly and legally. Right. That's great. Things. Both those, uh, I think, resources are accessible, and, um, and they should be the basis for a lot of change. This was, this was the president's report? Yeah, this was under, under President Obama. I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> I would think so. It's a wonderful <laughs> report. Very thorough. Okay. Yeah, okay. terrific. 21st century policing. Um, I, I want to say uh, I think the times really are changing. They are. Okay. And, I, and, I, you know, and I, I was listening to... And I said this the other day, too. I was listening to Angela Davis, um, uh, Democracy Now!, mm-hmm. the other morning. And she said, well, this is not going to change overnight. Well, I'm not, I'm not buying that. I think that we are in the, in the midst of a transformation. And, and we, need to, we need to embrace it. And we don't, we, we don't want to squander this opportunity. And I think that tomorrow being Juneteenth is just absolutely remarkable. And the one thing that the one thing, I, and I said this like a couple of a couple of days ago, I said, if, if people didn't know about Juneteenth before President uh, uh, Trump has certainly uh, educated the nation. And happy Juneteenth to everyone. And thank you for that. And have you seen our? our uh, did you see our show? Oh yes, yes, yes. yeah, yeah. The the, the um, uh, Juneteenth Music Fest. Uh, thank you, thank you. And it's going to be repeated. It's going to be repeated uh, tomorrow, folks, at um, seven o'clock on uh, Juneteenth. On Juneteenth, CBS Channel Five, um, and a big shout out to Channel Two for making it happen. And uh, Steve McMurray was, who's the general manager, has just been a prince, an absolute prince, and you know helped us so much to make this, to bring it possible, and, and you know to be able to have a conversation like this to be able to frame the conversation for black people to be able to make a presentation to the community of love and unity and and it's, it's just it's it's what we need more of 
you know, and and the, was it the Werner Commission? No, the was after. Kerner. No, it was the Kerner Commission. Yeah. Okay, Kerner Commission. After the the rise of '68, the '60s, right? And they said that the Negro voice needs to be more prominent in media. And here we are. Thank goodness, Cassandra, that you've got that voice out there. Well, th- thank you, Frank. And and uh, you know, uh, it's 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 um, we need more of it. And and it's not just media, it's business. Black businesses have been depressed, deprived, blown off the map, and whenever our people get to making uh, significant economic advancements, you know, either our land gets taken away, or they have a coup d'etat, or they blow us up or something, but this has got to be a part of the conversation. Not just jobs, business, black businesses, because black people will hire black people, and that's how we will build wealth. And, and, and not just owning homes, but owning land and having farms and being and, and, and having these businesses. Absolutely. But um, we have a couple more minutes, so I'll let you guys wrap up. Go ahead. Well, um, go ahead, Steve. Well, I just would like to say that in the Mohawk Valley, you know, in Utica and Rome and the surrounding uh, villages, and, uh, that I think we're a small enough area that we can really have impact. Uh, have impact. Yep. On, yep. And, and, you know, uh, engage in real conversation and real change. Right. And, you know, it's, it's going to take listening to black people, too. Oh, it's definitely. Take, yeah. You know, yes. it, the black people are going to have to lead a, in a lot of this. And, and uh, you know, there, not, there's not been a lot of empowerment in, in the black voice in, in this community. There's a lot of hand, hat holding and asking for permission and can I and not, make, not making any waves, not making any demands, but just kind of going to get along. And that's not going to – getting along is not making a difference. Right. And, and it's not transformative. So – you know, uh, those who have been there, uh, you know, uh, being the, the, the good ones that we could, the, the go-to ones, um, you know, we're going to have to make some some uh, other choices out there to right. make a difference. I would just point out uh, in conclusion that it's not just the Utica department that's required to turn right. itself upside down. And all the other departments around here, too, that also have an impact, right, that also have a People don't just stay in Utica, minority folks. They drive all over this area. And I, right. think, I think it's not been all that pleasant for them sometimes in these other communities. We're talking about it. Right. How many times so, have you been pulled over? Yeah, you know? People who are listening in other parts of this county have to really get engaged with this process as well. It's not just uh, not just the city. And, and Governor Cuomo's uh, um, directive is that all the municipalities have to be involved in the reform in their own communities, right. and they got nine months to do it. April 1, 2021, it's supposed to be uh, a product. Well, now, now that you mention it, April 1 is when the budget, the state budget comes out. Too, so was he putting any money behind any of this? Well, he's going to take it away if you don't. That's right. He's going to take it away if you don't. It's a win-win. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this has been great, guys, and the hands are straight up and straight down, and we have, we, we've got to make some room for DJ, DJ Mark G coming in. But thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, and Anoki, thank you so much for being on. And I look forward to meeting you whenever, you know, people are, uh, you know, in presence uh, at, uh, on the Hill. Uh, we just live a, a mile from the college. And um, maybe Frank will make a little, you know, gathering for us. <laughs> but thank you so much. And, um, yeah, and thank you for your good work, too, Okay? And keep it up. Keep 
up the good work. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow, 7 o'clock, Channel 5, WKTV, A Time for Love, Juneteenth. Good night.